When Jesus commanded his disciples to go and make disciples, he established a purpose and a pattern for every church to follow. He gave every Christian a mission, and he gave us the good news of the gospel to tell the world, a story of rescue and restoration. Yet many don't understand how the good news of Jesus fits into the overall picture of God's story and subsequently don't feel confident to share the gospel at all. But what if they did know, live, and share the gospel as a lifestyle, wherever they went, together as the church? What could happen? Imagine one person sharing the gospel with 10,000 people each day. It would take approximately 2,000 years to tell God's story to the 7 billion people on the planet. However, if one person committed to knowing, living, and sharing the gospel, empowered a new believer every six months to do the same, and so forth, and so forth, it would take about 20 years for the world to hear about Jesus. As a result, not only will our lives be changed, but our families, our neighbors, our cities, and our world will be changed as we go. Well, good morning, everyone. Great to be with you guys this morning. Uh, You know, if you have been around this place for any length of time, you know uh, at our heart that we are interested in changing the world. I don't say that like, you know, from a semantic standpoint or from a hypothetical standpoint, you know, everybody wants to change the world. I mean, we actually want to change the world. We actually want to look back 20 or 30 years from now, uh, 40 years from now, when our story is coming to a close as this generation, this reality grows older, and be able to look at the world and go, the world is a different place because we were here. And we want to be able to look uh, 100, 200 years from now and go, the world is different today because back in 2014 and beyond, we were here on planet Earth. That is what our heart is. What you just saw there, a a, a church that is changing internally, changing local community, their, their neighbors, their city, and changing the world. That is what I'm interested in. That is what I think we are interested in here as a church together. I want to see the world change because of us. And listen, that's not some kind of idea that has never occurred before. It's not something that we're saying, we want to do this. No one has ever accomplished anything like that. I think we can. As a matter of fact, if you look back in history, there are multiple stages in history where because a group of people decided or an individual decided to step outside of the normal, ordinary world and do something radical, that the world actually experienced massive change. We see it in the secular environment, right? I mean, People uh, discover things like electricity or or build a car for the first time or come up with a vaccine of some kind and and suddenly the world changes, right? And you can still look back today and go, the world we have today is different because that person or those people pushed harder, went further than anybody else. And we see that in the journey of God's kingdom emerging on planet earth as well. Now we go back into the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the 2,000 years between the end of the New Testament and our world, and we see pockets of time with groups of people or individuals that lived radically and crazy and outside the box and believed what they believed deeply, and because they did, 
the world is still different today. We still go, the world would have looked different if they did not exist. And that's what I'm interested in. I am not interested in playing church. I have zero interest in that. I have zero interest in looking back 20, 30 years from now and going, you know, we, we had a good church. We had a good time together. We learned some things about the Bible. We felt better about ourselves. We worshiped God. And frankly, we helped out a bit in our city. I'm sure that's great. That ain't great here. That's not, what, that's not the story I'm interested in living. And so we want to go and live out authentically the story and call of God on our lives in radical ways. We want to live extraordinary missional stories that change everything. And we want to do that together. Do you know why I feel this way? Why every day I wake up in the morning and I'm like, I will not live an ordinary life. I will not be satisfied with what the standard American dream, which frankly is one of the best dreams on planet earth, but even the American dream is so ordinary, so limited in the imagination God has for us. I will not live in it. I want to go beyond it. Why? Because as we've journeyed through scripture, as we've traveled through the Old Testament and the story of God and his people, and then the gospels and the story of Christ and his coming and his teaching and his rescue, and then the story of the book of Acts as we've traveled through that, and the mission that Jesus has called us to, we have begun to discover the full holistic extent of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, for most of us, if you're like me, if you grew up in church, for example, like I did, you have interacted with the gospel for a long time. Some of you may have recently interacted with the gospel, and generally the gospel is experienced this way. The gospel is Jesus's redemption work on the cross and his resurrection to what? To save us, to save our souls, right? Is, is, that's accurate, right? Absolutely. That's totally accurate. The gospel, if I tell my kids, why did Jesus die on the cross and raise from the dead? To save me from my sins. Good. That's the right answer, right? But that's a limiting answer because it's not the whole gospel. It's part of the gospel. You see, what we came to realize is, or, or what we believed was that Jesus saves our soul now restores our future purpose when we enter into heaven and so we are saved now and we know our future is secure and between now and that future we survive planet earth right I mean I think if we're honest that's how we generally see the gospel I receive it yay I'm saved keep it with me so when I die I get restored and as we journey through scripture we see a whole different picture we see a picture where the gospel uh, bleeds out into our lives through the teaching of Jesus and through the teaching of scripture and says this, no, when I rescued your soul, I didn't only restore your future reality, I also restored your purpose on planet earth. I created you to know me and that's what I saved your soul for so you can know me again and know my freedom. But I also created you as human beings to image me, to make me known. And now that I have rescued you, you can and should once again live a life where you make me known in all that you do. You see, you were living a life where you were collecting resources and trying to manage and manipulate circumstances and try to extract from other human beings relationship that would keep you safe, secure, and happy. And you were trying to love while you were doing it because loving someone is also a good thing to do. It feels good. And Jesus comes along, rescues you from that and says, now don't abandon that, but use your resources, your circumstances and your relationships to make me known in every way. 
Suddenly your, your relationships, your resources, your circumstances are opportunities by which you can live out the redemptive reality of me. Because Jesus says, I have come not only to make you new, but to make you ministers of reconciliation between people and God. That's incredible. That's the story I can get behind. That's a life I can live. That sounds exciting. And that's what I want to do. This is why uh, at the beginning of 2014, when I came to you guys and said, we have a dream for 2014 and beyond. We dream of something here that we will become together. This is what we articulated. I dream of a people that are passionate and vocal about the gospel. Mature, devoted, missional, connected, full of the Spirit, in love with God, and radical in the way they live and love. We will not settle for the status quo. That was two weeks ago. We dreamed that up. Oh, we dreamed it up before that. We articulated it two weeks ago. And that's where we're moving from here into 2014. That is a big deal, especially considering the ordinary nature of our day-to-day lives. Suddenly we're going, now we want to call you into something much bigger than that. That's because we have discovered in Scripture through the Gospel that the life that God invites us into is an extraordinary adventure. It really is. It's beyond anything we could have imagined, could imagine up for ourselves. It seems when you look at Scripture, the lives in Scripture are like mind-blowing. They're full of courage and boldness and adventure. They go out and live radically. They're persecuted and pressed and crushed. And yet, under all of that weight, they are devoted and passionate and in love with Jesus. They get beaten to death and they go, Yay! I'm so honored! And we're like, that's incredible! And, and we watch this and we go, that, that, that's that's a wild life. That's full of everything we probably would want. It, it, it calls you out of the ordinary rat in a cage struggle and goes, there's more to this. We hear it in the, in the voice of Jesus, don't we? Remember when Jesus bumps into a bunch of fishermen? And they were good fishermen, don't get me wrong. Peter was a strong dude, great fisherman. And, and Jesus goes out fishing with them and miracles occur. All these fish come in and, and it's like, wow. And then Jesus looks at Peter and the, and the guys and says, listen, why don't you follow me? They're like, uh, uh, why? He goes, look, if you, if you follow me, I will take your life as you know it now, fishing, and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you more than you could have ever imagined yourself to be. Man, that, that's exciting. That's incredible. Jesus is the one that said, if you follow me, take up your cross, be redemptive. Just like I took up a cross for you and walked through its crushing weight to take on your weight and then resurrected from the dead. If you follow me, I promise you this. If you take on the weight of others and the sin of this world for their sake to be ambassadors of reconciliation for me, though it will feel crushing, I will resurrect every story. And you will experience a life beyond your wildest imagination. Jesus was the one that said, if you feel like you're losing your life for my sake as you're living out on mission, don't worry. Don't go, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my life. Because if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. But if you try to save or preserve your life as you know it, you'll come to the end of it and look back and just see ordinary. And you will have lost your life. See, it's Jesus saying these things. I have a bigger story for you than you have for yourself. Follow me. That's the life I want, guys. That's the life I want. 
That's the life I want for you. As the privilege I have to be one of the shepherds in this place, one of the elder pastors here that that are called to shepherd you, to encourage you, to equip you, to challenge you, to push you out, to draw you in, to make Jesus known to you as one of those people. I don't want an ordinary life for you. Do you understand that? I don't want my kids one day to grow up and live the ordinary life. I tell them every day, you're bigger than that. So live it out, man. Push beyond. Jesus imagines more for you. And that's what I want for you. I want it for me. I want it for you. So, inspired, right? Oh, man, I want it too. It's so exciting. Have you ever felt like that life is fleeting? Like just beyond your grasp? It feels like it's around a corner, but not a corner you know, right? You're like, someone told you it's right around the corner, but you keep walking and the corner doesn't appear. Ever felt that way? I mean, great, Renaud, fantastic. Yeah, bigger life, Jesus, unbelievable. Yeah, have you seen my life? I got four college tuitions coming up. I've got a mortgage payment. I got a family. I got stuff to take care of. I barely make the bills, and I work 80 hours a week. That's wonderful. See, the life that seems to be right there seems to feel outside of our grasp, doesn't it? I mean, we want to live missionally. We want to be exciting. And if you're in college, maybe you don't have any responsibilities. Sell your apartment, jump in a car, travel the country, preach the gospel as a street minister. Fantastic. But just get yourself uh, one of those spouses and a few kids and a mortgage payment and a car payment and a college tuition and a retirement, and all that is gone. I feel that way a lot. And it sounds great, but it's just, it's not within reach. Missional living is for others. Other people that have space in their schedule that happen to get a life where they're independently wealthy and they have one child that's already uh, scholarship material going to college, right? I mean, those people, th- that's missional living. But, but for me, who has to drag my way through life, not for me. Or the other option is this, that you get crazy enough to go, despite the fact that I'm struggling, I'm going to step out on mission, do something radical, Right? You go preach the gospel at your workplace or you, or you adopt a bunch of kids or you step out into some missional opportunity in your neighborhood and suddenly your neighbors think you're weird, you got fired and you're crushed under the weight of more children than you intended, right? I mean, so, so suddenly you step into missional life and the, the weight of missional living is heavier than you thought it would be. Its consequences bigger than you thought. You thought God would make it easy and he didn't and you go, where is God? I jumped out of the plane, no parachute, saying Jesus will save me and the ground very close and he ain't here right so we either see missional living out of reach or we reach for it grab it and as we're holding our fingers slip off the bar and we start tumbling into the darkness and here's the trouble we read the stories of scripture and here's what we see we see these people living on mission in these bold and crazy ways right in their ordinary day-to-day life but simultaneously growing in passion and devotion for Jesus so we assume if we step out on mission well then the passion devotion stuff will come with the equation but here's what actually happens the mission crushes us then we don't have time to do anything we're too exhausted so we watch cooking shows instead of spending time with Jesus because it's just too much. And so our passion for Jesus diminishes, our missional living becomes harder, and we feel like we're going to die. I'm just, I'm just being real because this is the life I sometimes live. I sometimes feel this way. And so I, I stare at that and I go, God, if this life that you've invited us into is ours, then how on earth do we live a life where we sustain missional living and we grow in passion and devotion for Jesus simultaneously in a sustainable way together as a community? Because what you discover is if you live 
uh, running after Jesus by yourself, it's dangerous. Because you don't grow in passion and devotion and you live on mission and die or don't live on mission at all. And so we realize if we're gonna do this, we gotta do it together, right? I mean, we gotta do it together. You see it in scripture. I've called you into community to do this as a biblical community. So we gotta gather up and we gotta get with one another and we gotta live out mission and devotion in uh, community together. So what do we do? We say, okay, let's gather all the people that know Jesus. Let's gather together become the church. So we do. Welcome to a gathering, right? It's what we call this. You come together, you gather together, and we say, let's do this. Let's celebrate the things of God together, tell stories about what God's doing in us, through us, and around us. Let's worship God and celebrate him through worship, and let's be inspired and and draw out the vision God has for us and for our lives out of the word of God. Let's do that. So we do. We, We produce a gathering, we get together, We do the worship thing. We do the telling story thing. We jump into the word of God. We're inspired. We're stirred up. We're like, yes, I want to live. And then we leave. We do that on a weekly basis in the weekend experience. We head out the door and we're so excited. And then Monday comes and it's not so exciting. And we try a little thing or two Monday, Tuesday. That doesn't go well. We're discouraged. Wednesday, we stop. We long for Sunday. We get back on the weekend. We come back in. And as that pattern continues for a while, actually, here's what we discover. Though we are together, we are alone, right? We come together once a week, but we're actually alone when it actually happens out there on mission. And so the same problem just bubbles back up to the surface. And our solution of doing it together, we thought would occur in a gathering. It doesn't. The gathering has its place. It inspires us. We celebrate God. But it does not produce the execution of devotion and mission in community together. So we're like, God, how do we do that? I mean, we've tried the gathering thing. We like the gathering thing. We don't want to abandon it. But but it's not producing a, a holistic means by which we can live out the call that you have radically. And so he said, God, is is there anyone that did this well? God goes, why don't you go to the beginning of the story of the New Testament church and and see how we played it out then? Oh, yeah, we were there once, right? Remember when we traveled through Acts? Acts chapter 2. So we jump in and we go, the early church seemed to have an incredible story brewing, right? Listen to this. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they, that is the biblical community, who had come to know Jesus and received the Holy Spirit, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many works Uh, Wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with who? All the people... And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Incredible start to the story, right? So what are these guys up to? We discover a couple of things about them. One, they were devoted to the word of God, devoted to the spirit of God, devoted to the community of God, right? Devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the word of God. Devoted themselves to the prayers, interacting with the spirit of God. And devoted themselves to the community of God, breaking bread together and making the gospel known to one another. 
And then in that devotion, they spent time together in two arenas, it seems. Gathering at the temple together for worship, celebrating and being inspired, and then going to their homes and breaking bread together there, dialoguing through life, and then living together in life among the larger community who they gained favor with, who then were intrigued and started adding to their number. They were growing in devotion and passion for Jesus together. They were living life together and they were seeing people come to Jesus as a result of their missional living together and the whole thing was happening and they were willing to give of themselves for the biblical community as those who had need had need and those who had more than they needed had more than they needed. Pretty cool story, right? So we go, got it, got it, problem solved, man. We got the gathering space, celebrate, inspire, awesome vision casting. What we need, what we're missing is the home space, the small group space. So we produce small groups. Uh, Most churches have done this. They call them different things. Small groups, life groups, home groups, fun groups, interest groups. I mean, you name it. You've probably been part of cell groups or some other group of some kind, Bible study groups, uh, uh, you know, uh, women's groups, men's groups. I mean, so many names. It's exhausting, but they're all really the same thing. A small group of people getting together out of the larger gathering to come around the scriptures, devoting themselves to the word of God, to the spirit of God, and praying together and dealing with him and to one another, the community of God. And in that devotion together, living together in that devotional space, being inspired by one another and dialoguing and debriefing with one another, struggling joys and wonders together, and so they grow together there. It's a beautiful thing. I love it. I think it's a great idea. So we do small groups. We've done them here. Hey, you should join a small group. It's good for you. It will help you live out on mission. So here's what happens. We now have a space once a week that we gather for the gathering to get inspired and a space once a week where we are devoted to one another, the word and the spirit. And then what do we do from those two spaces? We go out alone and live on mission. Now we're not quite as exhausted because we make it from Sunday to Wednesday and then Wednesday to Sunday. But in the end, two odd things are produced in the small group idea that we discovered in our journey over the last 10 years and in others' journeys. The small group idea generally accidentally produces two dangerous realities. The first dangerous reality is this. It becomes a group that is inwardly focused and about the people in the group rather than outwardly focused and about the gospel going out from the group. It just happens naturally. Here's why. I'll give an example, right? You get together with some people you kind of know pretty well, right? Because that's the best kind of small group to join is people you don't have to actually get to know, just people you kind of already know. So we gather the people we like, we get in a small group. That's where we start. You you don't do the whole, hey, come to a meeting, we'll give you some people you don't know, we'll start a group. No. I'll pick my own people. Okay, great. So you pick some people, you get together. Then you live together in small group for 23 years. Two years, five years, whatever. But you're together. You get to know each other intimately. And one day the church leadership comes to you as part of the leadership and says, listen, we have a new couple that just came to the church or a new individual. We would like them to join your small group. And you see panic instilled in the eyes, right? Uh... You mean like become part of it on a permanent basis? Yeah, that was the idea. Our group's closed currently. We might open up in the future if someone dies in the group, but currently it's closed. And here's why it's closed. Look, the reason is good. It's a biblical reason. How can we be devoted to one another, vulnerable with one another, sharing our joys and our struggles if strangers keep coming into our group? 
They come in, they're weird, they're strange, we gotta get to know them. Then after six months, we know them, we feel somewhat comfortable, we start sharing a few things, and then you come back to us, and I know it, it's not gonna stop here, is it? A year from now, there's gonna be some other new person who needs to join our group. So if we open the door now and start this pattern, man, it's gonna be bad, because everything we need from the group, our safety zone is gonna be robbed from us. Look, the motive is right, I get it. We need a safe place where we can be vulnerable and be together. But what tends to happen is the group becomes an inward-focused reality because it's the one place we feel connected and safe because our lives are so disconnected and busy. So what happens is we begin the gather and keep syndrome, right? It's a human syndrome. Try a two-year-old. Here's a toy for you, honey. Okay, now give the toy back. Ha! Mine! Give it to your brother. Never! Right? Every two-year-old. So then we teach them sharing and they cry and they weep and they fuss and then after 20 years they get sharing but kind of hate it, right? <laughs> and that's how it rolls. Every human being is about gather and keep, gather and keep because we're trying to survive, right? If you find something, you keep it and if you find a good group, you keep it and if you're vulnerable, you keep it. You don't gather and scatter and the gospel comes along and goes, new plan, new plan. The way I'm gonna work this that Jesus says is, I'm going to gather you as a body and then scatter you into the world together in community and you are gonna gather to scatter, gather to scatter. And we're like, no, gather, keep, gather, keep, gather, scatter, gather, scatter, gather, keep, gather, keep. And there the human difficulty between us and the gospel begins. The other danger that the small group produces outside of the gather, keep syndrome is this. Uh, You see, you are traveling as a normal human being in communal experiences. It's what we all do. You go to your workplace, you meet some people there, acquaintances, you get to know them. You find the people there you kind of like that have similar interests to you and maybe you start going to a football game on a regular basis with them because they like your same football team so you watch football together. Then you become what we call friends. You know things about each other and you might even start sharing a few little intimacies with one another. Maybe uh, you find someone that enjoys the same social networks as you do or the same interests you have or the same stuff uh, you tend to like doing. So you become friends with these people Any place in your life that you spend a regular amount of time, you are going to meet people there that are also spending a regular amount of time because they like it or because that's where they work. And you're going to become acquainted with them and you're going to become friends with them. These are your regular community. Then at some point in your life, you bump into the gospel of Jesus Christ and you find out there's this whole other life that's unbelievable. These people don't know about it. You don't know about it because someone from the outside or someone within those communities came to know Jesus. So they call you into the biblical community. So you move from your regular community into your biblical community and you live in both worlds now. And this is exciting for you. So you come into the church community and you find out In the biblical community, if you want to get to know Jesus, you need to be involved in a gathering space to celebrate and be inspired. You need to be involved in a in a in a small group ministry where you can be uh, you know devoted to one another. And that's a Wednesday night and a Sunday night. But on Wednesday nights, you used to hang out with those guys and play basketball, or you used to hang out with those ladies and go on a shopping spree, or you used to you know whatever it is that we do, we do. We did it there. We fly our airplanes together there. We hang out in that social group there. We go to the park on that afternoon. But you can't do that anymore because you got the Bible study now. So then you have that dilemma. Should I stay with this group or should I do this? And so the church does this. You go church. Awesome. I mean, our motives are right. Don't get me wrong, but it's kind of funny when we do it, right? Okay. Okay. Basketball Jesus. I mean, come on. Basketball Jesus. Oh, Jesus wins. So kill the basketball team. Come and be part of the little Bible study. 
So then we start running into this reality where we're like, gosh, I, I feel like I'm having to tell all my friends I can't hang out with them anymore. And what do we say? You know, that's not a bad thing. And they're a bad influence on you anyways, right? I mean, don't hang out with those friends. They were sucking you down. We're here to build you up. Oh, oh, that's good. Do that, that, you see the music they listen to? So bad. Okay, come here. And so one of two things begins to develop. Either we slowly, over a period of time, abandon all of our networks, all of our social groups that are out there, and we replace them with biblical social groups. We serve on Wednesdays and Fridays at the church. We're part of a Bible study and a women's group and a children mom's group. And you know, you know how it goes. And we come to gatherings on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and Saturday nights because we're serving in one. And, do, and before you know it, you wake up one morning and you go, do I have any friends that don't know Jesus? And the answer is no. I mean, I have some coworkers, but I'm scared of them because they weren't my friends to start with. That's why I didn't abandon them because I have to go to work. But frankly, I have no friends that don't know Jesus. But that's a good thing, isn't it? Because all your friends know Jesus now, and so you're safe. And then Jesus walks into that picture and goes, safe? Safe? Have you followed me? Have you watched my life? Safe is not what I called you into, man. Yes, back in the Jewish world, I was trying to keep you safe because you didn't have the Holy Spirit, because you didn't have redemption. So I had to keep you safe from the darkness. But do you remember when I came to planet Earth, I said to you, no more safe. No more safe. Now we go into the darkness. We go into the places because we are redeemers. We are people that have the Holy Spirit that Jesus lives through. We are his body. We go in. So if you're not involved in those worlds, that's a bad thing. Shouldn't be of those worlds, but you should be in them. And so what we do is we either tell you get out of them and put all your time here or you start doing this game. On Mondays you hang out with this group and on Wednesdays you hang out with this group and on Fridays you hang out with this group and on Sundays you hang out with this group because have you noticed those two groups weird each other out? You notice that? I mean your normal friends are weirded out by your Christian friends. Not that we're abnormal, I'm just saying we're different, right? So uh, you know, the, 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 the regular community goes, I'm scared of those people. They're like religious and all that. And then your, your Christian friends, like when they go to these friends, they do stuff that we talk about not doing, right? So then you're like, I, 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 what, what do I do? I mean, they said that word. It was hard for me. You know, I, I get it. And it's not a bad thing. I mean, we, we, we've, we've been sort of, you know, it's like when you don't drink Coke for two years and then you sip it again, you're like, whoa. <coughs> you know, you used to love this stuff. But, but now, suddenly, you find yourself in this weird dynamic. So you, if you still want to hang out with these friends, you kind of do it in sequence. Never shall the two meet. And this is the danger of small group. It isolates us from our normal community, calls us out of them, or tells them they can't be part of it. Have you ever tried this one on for style? Uh, hey, John, um, co-worker, decent friend, doesn't know Jesus. A few of us meet together on Wednesday night to study the Bible and pray together. Would you like to come? Have you ever tried that one? Now, there may be one or two of you here who say, yes, I did. They were like, I've been praying for 23 years for someone to ask. Thank you and hugged you, but that's not normal. If that happened to you, that's not normal, Okay. <laughs> For most of you, it was probably that awkward moment where they went, did you say Wednesday nights? Oh, shoot. You know, Wednesday nights are really busy. We could move it to Friday. Fridays are busy too. Actually, I'm busy all the time. But anyways, thanks for asking. Have you ever tried, have you ever tried that? It's awkward, isn't it? Inviting them into that devotional space. So uh, we started looking at this and going, something is wrong here. 
It's, there's, there's good in it, but something is wrong. Just like the gathering is a good thing, but it's limited. The small group is a good thing, but it's limited. It is calling us out of mission, not into mission. It's allowing us to have to compete against what God has called us into because we so desperately need connection, community, and devotion. Can we create something that allows us to still connect, be devoted, and, and, and together growing in passion and devotion, but not eliminating mission and bringing together the two worlds that God has called us into? Can we do that? that. See, because uh, Jesus clearly wants that for us in 1 Peter. Listen to this. 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, Peter is writing, and this is what he writes. 1 Peter chapter 2, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may what? Proclaim the excellencies of of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. We are made holy to be proclaimers of the light, which means we have to be in the darkness. And when we're in the darkness alone, it kills us, but when we're in the darkness together as community, there we are incredibly redemptive and powerful. And so we start wrestling. God, what could it look like if we produced a space in our communal experience where we could both enjoy the devotional uh, growth and passion for Jesus and not alone but together live on mission together. So we started asking, what kind of space are we easily able to live on mission and invite this crowd, the normal community, into interacting with this crowd without it being totally awkward in a Bible study? So it dawned on us recreation. Ooh, don't you like to recreate? I do. I like recreating. It's fun and restful, right? In fact, we're supposed to have some social space where we recreate. But we thought, what if we did recreational mission? Missional recreational living. Now that'd be awesome. What if we created a space where we called the biblical community together in some format into the social space where they could interact with the non-biblical community in a neutral zone and they could begin to display the excellencies of God without being weird. Have you ever tried this one on for style? Uh, John, acquaintance at work that you kind of know. John, listen, uh, me and a few buddies are going to go watch an action flick on Friday night, an action movie about Navy SEALs doing some awesome stuff. Uh, we've talked a lot about that. Would you like to come? Is that Friday night? Uh, I'm sorry, I'm busy on Friday night. Have you ever had that? No, man. John goes, uh, this Friday? Uh, hold, texting wife. Uh, going out with the boys Friday, just checking if that's okay. I'm sure it is. Thank you so much. Deek, right? It doesn't get awkward. Do you feel awkward about that? Hey, that football team is going to be at the stadium this week. You want to come with us? Dude, really? Yeah, ticket's free. Come with us. You're kidding me. I'm in. Count me in. See, when we invite our regular community into the social spaces, it's not weird. Even if we say, me and a couple of my friends are going to go and do this. You don't know my friends, but that's okay. They don't go, who are these friends? (laughs) They just go, sweet, that sounds awesome. So what if we said, we want your missional community to become a place where anytime you go do something, something socially, you're going to your kid's soccer game, you're going to a movie, you're having a barbecue at your house, whatever, you invite a few of your missional community folks with you, depending on the context, or all of them, depending on the context, and then you invite a few of your normal community with them, and the two come together, and you tell your missional friends, don't be weird. <laughs> don't be weird, okay? Love you, but I don't need you inviting my friends to the Bible study at the first movie, okay? Hey, you know him? We go to a Bible study together. You want to come with us? 
he asked me to invite you. Now, don't do that. Just be nice and normal, shake their hand, go, hey, become their friend. Because you see, we're just friends, right? We have this mindset that the win is getting the person who doesn't know Jesus to the Bible study. That's not the win, folks. The win is making the excellencies of the gospel known to them in any context. And so what we're saying is this, after the movie, when the movie's played, like I always do, there's like six scenes in the movie that blew my mind. I'm walking out there, I'm like, man, when that guy was shooting at that guy and this was happening, that was so a picture of what I experience in life with my family and how God interacts with me. And I'm telling the guys that and my friends there as well. But now I'm not telling him that, right? It's not like, hey, can I talk to you about Jesus because the movie said it? No, I'm talking to these friends about that. You're just in the conversation. And so we're interacting together and the excellencies of God are being felt in a neutral zone. And after five five or six movies, a barbecue or two, and a football game, guess what's going to happen? Your friends who have now become friends with your other friends are going to start going, man, I love hanging out with you guys. And then after one of the barbecues, you're going to say, hey, we're, we're hanging out after the barbecue. We're going to talk life, talk about some stuff in the Bible, talk about God. You're welcome to join us if you'd like. You're at the barbecue. And they go, you know, actually, I'd, I'd love to do that. Love to do that. Man, that would be powerful. That's being on mission together. And now, God was very clear with us that we need to interact with him, stay intimate with him, keep our eyes fixed on him. In other words, we need to interact with the gospel, which represents all of God's work in our lives on a regular basis. So you gotta be preaching the gospel to yourself, right? You gotta be doing that every day. You gotta have the gospel preached to you regularly. If you don't, it's gonna fade out of your space and you're gonna forget it. The gospel's not something you found 23 years ago, keep in your back pocket to take you into heaven. The gospel is that reality of Jesus that is molding you, shaping you, rescuing you every day, every way. Keeping you focused, fixed on mission and devotion for Jesus. It's the gospel that keeps us in love with Jesus because it's the gospel that reminds us Jesus came for you right? So I need the gospel preached to me. How do we do that? We get together in a devotional space dedicated to the word of God, the spirit of God, and one another, encouraging each other, praying for each other, speaking into each other's lives, preaching the gospel to each other. We need that. So we've got that devotional space, got that going. Then the Bible says, preach the gospel to your friends, the people that don't know Jesus, not just your biblical community, but your friends. How do we do that? We enter the social space, together as a biblical community in bits and pieces and we preach the gospel to our friends. But the gospel also says, Jesus also says, preach the gospel to who? The whole world, all of them, locally and globally. So how do we do that? Well, we do that by engaging in our city locally and engaging in the world globally by doing things that are redemptive, gospel-centric to open the doors for the gospel to be made known in its felt and articulated reality, right? So we want to create in this equation, not just the devotional space anymore, not just the social space for friends and acquaintances, but we want to create the global local space for strangers. How do we do that? We serve. We just serve, folks. You go regularly and serve people. So you call your missional community together and you go serve at a soup kitchen. You go serve in someone's home. You go take care of a single mom. You step into the life of a widow. You you babysit somebody who has eight kids. Yeah, baby. Just saying, just throwing it out there. Unbelievable mission of life, serving your community. You see, you step into ways where you're just serving for the sake of being redemptive with the gospel, right? So we need a serving space. And guess what? While you're serving, how awkward is this? Hey, John at work, a few of us are going to go serve some people that are struggling down in Orlando in a soup kitchen. You want to come. 
I guarantee you it's very rare that someone will say no to that because they actually want to. It's not that they feel guilty. They really want to do something good, but they don't know how, and you invite them in. So now you're on mission double-timing it. You're missioning the globe locally, and you're missioning to your friends. This is incredible. And you're with your biblical community doing it together. Doesn't get better than that. And so our missional community concept was born out of this. We said, listen, let's do this. Let's not just call small groups something else. Let's not just call the missional communities. Those sound much better, don't they? Small group, missional community. If it's the same thing, then let's just call it a small group. But if we're actually gonna make something wholly different, not losing the beauty of the small group, but adding to it, we gotta rethink this structure from top to bottom. So we did. This is what we've done here at Mosaic. We've said, why don't we produce a space where instead of seeing that space in a weekly rhythm, we change it to a monthly rhythm. The rhythms of your life are the frequency and flow at which you do things. That's the rhythm. How often you go to work or shop or eat or sleep, these are the rhythms by which you live. So the flow and frequency of a gathering rhythm is a weekly, once a week experience for most of you. The flow of a general small group is a weekly, once a week experience. We want to change the rhythm from a weekly rhythm in its frequency to a monthly rhythm. In every month, we expect there to be some form of rhythm. It doesn't have to be a weekly thing anymore. Now, in a monthly rhythm, Here's what we want to see. The rhythm is the frequency and flow by which you do something. The spaces is what you do and where you do it. You with me so far? Rhythm is frequency and flow. And spaces is what you do and where you do it. So we want a monthly rhythm in which three spaces are regularly experienced. Space number one. You are in devotion together. That is the typical small group experience. You come around the word of God. You're you're interacting with God through the word. You're interacting with the spirit through prayer. You're interacting with one another through sharing your struggles and joys. In any given month, we want some of your missional community experience to be devotional. It may be once a month, twice a month, three times a month, four times a month. It's, It's up to you, but you should be able to get to end of any month and say, we, the missional community, We're in a devotional space together this month. Then, some of the month's rhythm should be the social space. You should be able to say at the end of any month, we, the missional community, not all of us at once, but a few of us in different contexts, all of us as individuals at some point were with other missional community members doing something socially where we invited some of our regular community into the story. You should be able to look at any month and say, we did that. Maybe the ladies went out one way one night and the guys went another way. Maybe these two couples went out for this and those three couples did that. Maybe you invited to your home for a dinner that couple and that couple from work. It's in some format, you are able to say as an individual, I was involved in the social space on mission, recreating missionally this month. And then at some point during the month, you should be in the serving space. We served in some way as a community, locally or globally. We either Skyped with one of the missionaries in, in, in one of the, the countries we work in, and we sent them a care package. Or we actually went uh, and served locally by babysitting Renault's kids. Uh, any of those scenarios um, are, are, are perfectly good examples and equations of how we live out on mission locally and globally. And so there's your rhythm. A monthly rhythm of regularly engaging in the devotional space the social space, social missional space, and the serving space. And you may be in a missional community that does that four times, four times, four times a month, or 
twice, once, twice, or you mix and match depending on the month. Depends on your community and your community around you that you're trying to interact with. That is what we want to develop. That's what we're working on developing. That's what's in play now that we want to shift in culture here at Mosaic Church. You see, what begins to happen then is this. The gathering space, welcome everybody, you're in the gathering right now. The gathering space is where the vision is cast, where you're inspired and you celebrate the things of God together. We do it together. And yes, it should stir you up and inspire you. And then, as the vision is cast, you should feel like you're part of something, right? You should walk out of here going, I'm part of a much bigger story in Scripture than I thought, and I'm part of a biblical community that's doing incredible things, and I'm part of this. You should feel like you're part of things, even though you're not actually doing all of those things. You are part of those things because you feel like you're part of them. But if all you do is a gathering, all you will ever do is feel like you're part of things. You understand me? All you will ever do is feel like you're part of things. Yeah, you might... You might give some tithe. You, you might interact with a backpack drive. You might, so you, you'll be part of things in a small way, but in general terms, you just feel like you're part of something. Because the execution of the reality happens in devotion and mission, not in inspiration and celebration. When we are inspired and celebrate, we're not actually doing anything on mission. We are worshiping God and enjoying Him. Yes, that's the one part of the gospel. You enjoy God and worship Him. The other part is you make Him known And we make him known by being devoted to him on mission for him. And that happens in the missional community. You get together in a missional community and together in a monthly rhythm in those three spaces, you are devoted and on mission, being discipled and trained, debriefing about your missional experiences together, interacting with the people around you and with God, preaching the gospel to one another, preaching the gospel to your friends, preaching the gospel to the world. And so... As the leadership of Mosaic Church, as the elders and deacons here that are called, tasked to shepherd all of you into that place where you are those people I read about. Remember, let me read it again for you real quick. The people that are passionate and vocal about the gospel, mature, devoted, missional, connected, full of the spirit, in love with God, and radical in the way they live and love. Those people. In order for us to do that, we have come to conclude here at Mosaic in our local expression that the best thing we can call you into is this. Make a gathering a fairly regular experience in your life. The more times that you are here on a monthly rhythm, in other words, weekly attending, the more you're going to experience inspiration and celebration and feel part of things. And then we are calling you into a missional community where you don't just feel part of things, you are part of things where you are living devotionally and missionally together, being stirred up and inspired within the smaller group, dealing with all the ins and outs, and together living socially and in serving spaces on mission for the kingdom, bridging the gap between the regular community and the biblical community, bringing those two worlds together and changing everything. That's how we're gonna shepherd you. We we can't shepherd you any other way. We're not gonna have some 97 other ministries in which you can get, this is it. Come to the gatherings, join a missional community, and we will grow you and push you and challenge you and shape you as God leads us to, and the Spirit of God will use you mightily. Listen, this church was born out of this concept. We didn't know it then, but we know it now. Looking back, we're like, wait a second. This has been around for a while. My first missional community that I joined was a ragtag team of crazy people. I loved them to death, still do, but but they, they were an interesting group. Uh, Some of them had been in church most of their life, strong believers, very mature, 
experienced the regular church rhythms and, you know, kind of did the, the church thing and then the social thing separately, that whole deal. That, that was them. Then some of them were those folks that go, I'm a Christian, absolutely. And then you start talking to them and you're like, no, actually Buddha isn't part of that whole story. You know, I'm being a little bit exaggeratory, but you know, they believe in their minds, this is, but, but they, there's so much mixed up information that you realize we should talk about Jesus really uh, a lot about how that all functions. And so we, we had that group in there and then we just had some people that really didn't know Jesus, but they kind of liked us and we kind of liked them and, and they thought that the adventure we were going on there, I think they just wanted to see us fail in a missional community. So like, we'll, we'll, we'll run with you, see what happens. That sounds inspiring. And so we started this little missional community. All the people in our missional community we, we met in our natural circles, at our swimming pool in our neighborhood, and then uh, at little events in our neighborhood. And really, for the most part, the first few months, guess what our missional community did a lot? We just did a lot of fun stuff together, just a lot of social stuff, because it was the one neutral ground. Where we could, like, we're just going to have a lot of fun together. And then in that fun, conversations would emerge and things would happen. And so eventually, as more people kind of joined the missional community, and we kind of had more people... We started doing some devotional time together for those in the missional community that fit into that space. And that developed into a time together regularly where we could celebrate God because we weren't really part of a gathering at that point. So we just kind of, we were gathering but within this smaller context. We gathered in, in a home or in a, a clubhouse or in a warehouse or whatever we could find. The missional community wasn't doing much, much back then. Some social events, a uh, few gatherings in devotional space. And we were serving locally. We, we served where we could. We didn't have much resource or time, but we served where we could. We'd serve a family here, help out there. If one of the missional community families were in need, we would try to help out there. But then that missional community kind of grew, kind of grew a little bit. And suddenly it was bigger than one missional community. People were doing social things outside of our little missional community, and they were doing other stuff. And they started serving in their own ways, and suddenly we started serving more people. And then the globe became intriguing to us, so we would send a little money here or do a little that there, and that kind of grew too. Ten years now, that missional community has ebbed and flowed in its regularity of meeting and being together, but we're all still dear, dear friends. We're all still here. Let me tell you what that missional community has produced. May I? You ready? Here we go. That missional community has produced a rhythm for thousands of people in our local community to come together weekly in gatherings and be able to experience the inspiration and wonder of God's word as it goes out while worshiping and hearing stories. That missional community has produced mortgage payments for multiple families, uh, jobs for multiple people that were out of work, single moms and single dads being helped, electricity being turned on for multiple families, gas tanks, the amount of gas tanks we filled up, unbelievable, extraordinary. I think we feed most of the gas industry here. We have fed people, we have warmed people, we have taken people into our homes. We have cared for people locally at extraordinary levels. We have fixed cars for free. We have utilized our gifts and talents to do unbelievable things. We have engaged globally that missional community. We are now deeply engaged in Ethiopia, in Kenya, in Cambodia, in China, in Brazil. Uh, we've been engaged in South Africa and will be again. The Republic of Georgia, Kazakhstan, and Uzbekistan. We have trained pastors around the world to do incredible things in Brazil, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, uh, Republic of Georgia. We are currently involved because we've sent missionaries. That little missional community, because of that missional community, missionaries have been sent to multiple countries that actually came out of training right here in this place. That missional community has affected millions of dollars being sent around the globe and in the process that missional community has produced Currently, to date, what we know of, 79 orphans adopted into forever families from six different countries. 36 families have adopted as a result of that missional community. 
That missional community has changed the world as we know it. You know why? Because it's because of that missional community that you all are here. See, we didn't do all those things. Many of you did those things in your missional communities or in your contexts. But you did them because you were called into this story and you were in this story because of that missional community. I tell you, every one of you can root back how you ended up in this story at Mosaic to one of the people in that missional community. They may not have invited you personally, but someone who they invited, who invited someone, who invited someone, invited someone, invited someone, invited you. The fact that you even saw an advertisement somewhere to come to a gathering to jump in here was because that missional community started meeting 10 years ago. Because if they hadn't, there'd be no gatherings, there'd be no, nothing advertised, and there'd be no church. See, I was a church planter back then, and I realize now that my church planting team was that missional community. And so I realized this, we're all church planting teams, aren't we? I mean, the church isn't just this little place. It is the expansion of the kingdom of God through his people as we move forward. And every one of you are called and responsible to be on, be on a team to reproduce the kingdom of God through the spirit of God because of the gospel of God as we move forward into the world around us. We are ministers of reconciliation. And your missional community is where you will execute that reality in your local and global context with your friends and co-workers and the, the strangers and those who are in your biblical community and that's what we wanna do. So do you think it matters to us that you're part of a missional community? Uh, yes, it matters to us. I'm not saying, join a small group, it'll be good for you. I'm saying if you want to see this passionate, unbelievable dream that we have come to fruition, and you say, I want in on that story, then we're telling you as the leaders of this church, be regular in your gathering space, be regular in your missional community, and you will see God do unbelievable things in your life, through your life, and around you in the lives of others. I pray that you will pray and ask God how to take the next three to six months, rework your world and your schedule to fit into a missional community. I'm not asking you to go sign up for one right now. Just get in. You know that won't sustain. I'm asking you to take it seriously and start saying, God, I want in on this story. I don't just want to feel like I'm part of things. I want to be part of things. And that's how we will begin to become the church that changes the world. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for your incredible love for us, for the gospel of Jesus Christ that you have produced through your rescue plan. This story, this good news that is all about you, that is your heart, Father, for us, your, celeb I mean, your, your dedication to uh, suffering and dying and rising from the dead for us, uh, Jesus and Spirit of God, your great work in and through us. We just love the gospel because the gospel is you. It's all about you coming for us, rescuing us, restoring us, calling us into a life bigger than we could imagine. So God, I pray in this place, in, in Mosaic, that all of us who call this place home would begin to deeply examine the journey we're on and say, man, I, I'm busy, I'm disconnected, I'm crazy, but I, I want in on the story in a bigger way. And slowly, God, would you show us the way to recalibrate our lives and schedules and stuff to fit into a regular gathering space and a regular missional community where we can experience inspiration and celebration and devotion and mission in biblical community, being equipped, shepherded, loved, and cared for along the way while we equip, shepherd, love, and care for others. God, would you make it so in this place? Because God, we don't care about ourselves. We care about you. 
We don't care about our story and our glory. We care about your story and your glory. And we just want to do whatever it takes to make your story and your glory bigger and better. And God, if we die doing that, God, we count that a great honor. So would you do whatever you want with us for your glory and your story? And God, use us in any way you see fit. Call us into a bigger story than we imagined for ourselves. We pray, Spirit of God, amen.